And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm feeling like a failure, man. Well, I know. It's okay, though. <laughs> you know that I'm a failure or that I'm feeling like a failure? Everybody knows you're a failure. I, well, I want to talk about failure today. And, you know, we're here. We're back for another installment part five of how to start a tech company. We haven't even really gotten into the whole starting part yet, but we are trying to lay a solid foundation. We're going to talk today about why startups fail. There's a whole lot of reasons, but there's a few that are just really common. And I think you might have a well. Well, your startups always exit for like a zillion dollars. So, do do we need to bring in another host? Oh no, I see lots of bad, bad problems all the time. So, oh, you see them in others. Oh yeah, all never the time. in yourself. You know, and uh, uh, speaking of of amazing things, places, and organizations, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years, Matt. 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is they built for what's next. You can learn more at svb.com. You've heard of Silicon Valley Bank, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do they do like fund like 50% of companies that hit series A. It's crazy. And I'm proud to have them as a supporter of what we're doing. Absolutely. Trying to make sure that this startup called startup hustle doesn't fail. So thank you SVB. Now, dude, there's, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a secret that the odds are not in your favor. When you start any business, you could call any business a startup and you know, we've kind of gone through that. Um, before we get into the, I mean, what are you expecting from installment five and more specifically the why startups fail? Well, I hate to feel like we're scaring people away with the first four or five episodes of the series here, but we're yeah. talking about, you know, having the right, you know, people on the team and common problems and things to expect and failure is one of them. I don't remember what the statistic is. Um, even companies that raise a Series A, I mean, it's a huge percentage of them that, that fail. And yeah. one of the other weird statistics, I don't remember exactly what it was either, was that like 99% of all businesses in the United States never do more than like $5 million a year in revenue. I now, think a it's lot $1 million. I think yeah. it's literally 1 million. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of that's because of a lot of small businesses, right? Like you could be a plumber mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and you're never going to do $5 million a year in revenue. But um, it's, you put it into perspective, like it's a huge accomplishment to get to even doing 5 million a year revenue. And, and that's not like crazy, exciting unicorn startup, you know, rocket ship to the moon kind of, kind of growth. That's, you know, run of the middle uh, series A kind of, kind of number for a lot of people, but yeah. So, you know, I think you have a good point, Matt. And and with the first few episodes here, and and for those listening, like we don't want to be Debbie Downer. It's really not not our intent. We don't want to scare you away. We are really like, well, we're getting kind of old, Matt. We've been around the block a couple of times. We've started multiple companies. We've been involved with a lot. Our company full scale uh, services a lot of them, and we just we really think that that there's so much more to learn from well if you learn from people's success the problem with that is it's often a blueprint that isn't reusable like there are certain parts of it that are and that are repeatable and i do believe that most success is repeatable but you're not going to take the same blueprint and do the exact same thing that you did or i did or someone else did because they already did it in most cases now when we talk about the failure and a lot of that stuff that we have gotten into in the first part of the series is, 
you know, these are like, we personally believe in the mission of this, this podcast is if we can prevent you from falling down the money pit, even once mission accomplished, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. If we can help just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, and by the way, knowing many of these things ourselves, we still continue to do this. So yeah. And so do the people that are on our new web series, Startup Hustle TV. Like we talk all about it. It's hard, but just know that. But when it goes well, it's some of the sweetest music you'll ever hear. So, you know, let's talk about some of these, some of the reasons that startups fail. And, you know, we've hit on this in the past. And, you know, the the first thing on our list is, you know, launching the wrong product or service. Now, this is a perfect time because I have a great business idea for you. I want to run by you. (laughs) Let me hear it. Okay. So you know how when the trash truck starts in the the day, it's empty and it comes and picks up trash. Why don't they drop? Why don't they fill the trash truck full of like Amazon Prime deliveries and they deliver Amazon Prime and pick up your trash at the same time? So they're unloading the truck and reloading the truck. I think it's a brilliant idea. What do you think? No, no. I don't want my Shit. packages showing up smelling like trash and whatever. And like, ah. you know, it just, and then, you know, I have, I don't think that's probably the most fuel efficient vehicle, but you talk about, I mean, that would be the wrong product or service and sinking a bunch of money into that could be rough. Now, I think in, in the context of the way that this is written and, and, you know, the way our research team looks at this and the stats that are out there is a bad product market fit is not something that that all the hustle in the world is going to get you past. No, it's not. I mean, if you, if you have things that people don't want, they don't need, or you overestimate what the monetary value is in the marketplace, it's, I mean, it usually doesn't go well. I can tell you right now, launching a business two years from now that sells face masks would be the dumbest idea in the entire world. Sure. I mean, and that's, <laughs> and some, yeah. And, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, two years ago, someone would have told you that mass producing that stuff, they're like, you're just going to like supply yeah. and demand, supply and demand. So, I mean, these things, you know, get a crystal ball and you get to figure it out. However, you know, if you're building a, a we've talked about this so many times. Does your business, your idea, your service, or any of that, does it solve a problem? And if the answer is no, then it's it's going to be tough. Well, and and that's the other problem is even if it does solve a problem, if you're going into a market that is has a lot of competitors and barriers to entry and all that kind of stuff, you've got to solve the problem like 10 times better. You can't be like, oh, I have a better, a better mousetrap. You don't have to put, you know peanut butter on it uh you just open it up and it's ready to go but it costs 10 times more it's like nope <laughs> i'm good with my peanut butter dude <laughs> you know like it's yeah, like, all yeah. the problem <laughs> and, yeah, all right so you know next on the list is is honestly in my opinion the the one that stands out the most to me and that's the poor estimation of capital needed and you know, we've talked about this because finding the resources to start a business, to grow a business or to hockey stick a business is challenging. And I, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know until the moment you realize you don't know it. And there are so when you start a new business, there's just so many little one-time expenses and just little goofy things that you got to do and do here and do whatever. And you need to have padding in your planning and your capital estimation that um, that accounts for not getting it right on the first time. Because maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the thing is, is if you only get one shot and you have to hit the bullseye, that's that's a tough proposition because hitting the bullseye on your first try is not the easiest thing to do. Well, the other things that go along with this is time, just not estimating the amount of time it's going to get th- to get things accomplished, but then it's managing the timeline, right? You're like, we got to yeah. get this done because we bought a Super Bowl ad. Well, if you don't get it done, and <laughs> the Super Bowl ad is right. Monday, you're screwed, right? Like the, the, the timing and project management of it and all of that is important, you know, the execution of it. But a lot of times it, it could be time, you know, in the early days, 
you know, capital is important too, but it's just time. Like I don't have time to do all the things that need to be done. I don't have employees. I don't have help. Like, you know, just all of those things all work together when you're a really small company and it's, you know, a team of one or two or three trying to do things They're, They all work against you. And the, and the timeline thing is, is remarkably unpredictable because you just never know what's going to happen. You know, like there's people that opened restaurants a couple months before COVID hit oh, yeah. or, or a movie theater or who knows. And, you know, you just like, you, I mean, you just don't know what is going to get thrown in your path. The thing that you can count on is that something is going to get thrown in your path. And it's often like, so I, in million, my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I talk about knowing your path to revenue, which is really difficult. We talked about that in episode one of Startup Hustle TV as well, because like, well, it took, uh, t when we started Gigabook, it took two and a half years to put a dollar in the bank. Now I had it, it was, it was running alongside another business that was able to support it, but that's not always an option. Yep. Yep. And, so, it, and, and sometimes capital is not a problem. It's like, hey, we have the capital, but you know, we're, we're doing market testing to validate our product and all that. And then you find out like there's problems with it or the, the manufacturing messed up and now you got to, you know, change how it was manufactured and reorder it. And it's like, oh, now we're several weeks behind until we get a new shipment. And just all those things take way more time than, than you ever think they will. And, and that plays into the next item in the list is the, the poor estimation of capital, or excuse me, the poor use of existing capital and resources. So resources are also people. Yep. And that's another thing, like if your if your capital estimation is requires a perfect game being pitched, that's problematic because if that if your business relies on people and getting the right ones in, I think that's one of the hardest things at a new business is getting the right people because that your your cast or your lineup and your team, they evolve over time. And and another thing too is and because this series is more about tech than other things, well, it's a super competitive market in North America for anybody that, that writes code and builds tech and stuff like that. So, and that's something that when you and I first start, got to know each other was really frustrating you because at Stackify, you had people that were bouncing and you had one guy go work at Amazon, another one go work at Cerner. And you know, these are the things that you, you can't control what other people do in many cases. Yeah. And you talk about hiring the wrong people. The, the other problem you have is you might hire a salesperson when you're a startup and that person is really great. And then you need to hire a couple more promoting that first person to be the, the manager of the salespeople could be the absolute like death of your company because they're not a manager, right? Like that's the other part problem you have with startups is the, the earliest people you hire doesn't necessarily mean they're the perfect for you long-term either. They may be great at one thing and that doesn't mean they're meant to be the manager or, you know, an executive of your company either. And you may outgrow them. Like they were great at that stage. And as we got to be a bigger company, they just weren't a good fit anymore. Yeah, and that's advice that we've given a lot in the past when you bring on your initial team or people is is look for the Swiss Army knife, not for the sword. Yeah. Um, and, and the analogy with that is, you know, starting a new business and growing one, it's a battle. So uh, if you're at, on the front lines, you, well, you want a sword, but that's like a specialist. That's like someone that does one thing and they're, they're great at only that. The thing is, is if you don't have a big team, so now you take that same analogy. It's so after the battle, now we're back in camp and I need to open a can of beans. I don't want to be doing that with a sword. I want the different tools and all the different stuff that's there. So when it comes to adding people early and some of the advice we give people at full scale, when they just have a budget for one developer is to find someone that is toolsy, meaning like they can do a lot of different things and they can fill a lot of different roles and they can solve a lot of different problems because especially when it comes to tech companies. Oh man. I mean, if there's, it, I mean, Jay-Z says there's 99 problems. I think there's like 999 problems that often occur with software and tech because there's just a lot of bugs and things that work out. I mean, you've actually built a business around solving those problems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. People that are, can wear a lot of hats are super valuable. So poor marketing 
you know, it's it's very challenging to. All right, so we've seen, we've seen, you and I we've seen a lot of business plans and heard a lot of pitches and even given them ourselves, and the inaccuracy in estimating how much it costs to acquire a customer is real. Like, and until you get out there, and some people like they kind of dip their they they dip their toe in the pool, and they say, oh, well, we tested it, and it only it's only going to cost us forty dollars. Uh, $40, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, for, per our, our customer acquisition cost, but they tested it on such a small sample size that when they have to go past five or 10, or it scales up all of a sudden, like that number doesn't hold. And that begins to play into the inefficient use of capital, the poor estimation of capital, and then the lack of capital. Well, and the, the problem starts even before that for me is just being able to explain what it is you do. <laughs> like, I, you know, I have a good friend here in Kansas City. When I first met him, I asked him, like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we have this startup and we, we build this thing and do this thing. And like 10 minutes later in a conversation, I still couldn't understand what the hell it was he did. Like he, he didn't have the elevator pitch right down. Right. Like and and honestly, it can be really tough if you're the founder and you're like, hey, we do this really cool thing. But sometimes you have a really hard time just explaining it to other people. And until you can get good at explaining it to other people, you're definitely not going to be good at marketing it. <laughs> you know? True. Well, and I think from a leadership perspective as well, like, like you mentioned, you're talking about being the founder, like you should have a very clear and concise goal and set of priorities and like really be able to clarify and, and move people. Hey, this is what we do. Like at full scale, we help you build development teams. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's it. And we're not, the elevator door hasn't even closed yet. Yep. So, you know, some of that always simplify. And, and Matt, you know, that I, I mentor some young entrepreneurs and that's now begun. That is now the first thing that I focus on with, with any of them is like being able to say what you do in like 10 seconds or less. Yep. And yeah. And that's really important too, because if, especially when you're talking to other people because their eyes glaze over, like you just described, you're like, you're sitting there, you're three minutes in, you're going, oh my God, what do you do? Well, and, you this, do it? And, and this also relates to your website and everything else, right? Like if I go to your website, I need to be able to figure out what it is you do. Why am I here? Why does it matter to me? Like instantly. And, and, and that's hard. I mean, all that is, is part of your marketing and honestly, I feel like a lot of us as founders are too close to our product and the problem to almost speak intelligently in a marketing perspective, because it's like we need a third party person to come and be like, oh, yeah, that's what you do. You just need to explain it like this. Where a lot of times we just overcomplicate it all or, or we're focused on the features of it and not really the benefits of why people really want the thing. And it's always a struggle. I've always struggled with this, too. Yeah, well, I think that the benefits thing is something you've heard me say about a million times. And yeah. I hear you repeat it now, but, but it's true, man. Like people, people buy the benefits of what your product, service, or solution do for them. And it's not the features. And everyone becomes feature-centric. And especially in tech, they're like this feature, that feature. And if the features you're building especially early, don't help you bring people in, keep them in or get them to pay. You're building the wrong stuff. And I think that's really easy to do. And I think we should probably add that to the list, especially with tech centric stuff. It's not getting that MVP out fast enough. One of the, my favorite examples, you know, Mario is not buying mushrooms. Mario wants to become Super Mario. And it's how you present it, right? It's how you pitch it. True. I like that. I like, I mean, I've yet to hear you say that, but yep. uh, you know, and that's true. It's funny. I'm uh, when it comes to poor marketing as well, like our research team quoted me. So I am going to do, I read my own quote where I apparently said too many startups <laughs> only focus on what they are building, not who they are building it for and what problems are they helping them solve? Matt DeCourcy quoted by Is some that, famous guy. The, uh, quoted by a uh, Matt. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, with some of that, and, and I think we should talk about this for the, for a second too, because I've made this mistake myself in the past. Like we should have had Gigabook out a year before we did. And we got so hung up on it doing everything 
yep. that we were like, and I've talked about this in the past too, like almost like that shopkeeper that doesn't open the store because he's too busy cleaning it. And, and, you know, I mean, eight, nine years ago, well, the world of startups was in full force, but you weren't hearing the, I did. I hadn't heard someone say fail fast or really pushing the concept of the, the MVP. And we had a guest and I've started, I've addressed, I've used this uh, acronym as well. The MLP, a minimally lovable product. Like what's the like minimal that. stuff you can put out there that people will love. And we talked about this recently because uh, Calendly, who is on some levels, uh, I mean, as a competitor of Gigabook, won that battle. I mean, they just raised money at a $3 billion valuation, but all they focused on was one simple little thing. And we were caught over in the weeds going, oh, we should do this and we should do that yep. and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And yep. we built things, we built things before we even launched. And then when we launched it, we realized no one even cared or even used it. That well, was think, time, that was money, that was energy, it was everything that we could, I would have loved to have saved. Well, I think there's two or three things that are to unpack. One of them is just the failure to launch, right? Like you're the mad scientist in the lab and you just want to keep writing code and you keep improving the product, but you never actually sell anything, right? Like that, and as a software developer, that's easy to do. Um, the other thing you mentioned is like the MVP is it's that focus on what is the minimum viable product? What, what is the minimum thing we need to go validate that this product exists? Like th those are both uh, huge points that um, a lot of people fail because they, they just either don't launch or they don't focus on, you know, what's the minimum they need to launch <laughs> both. You know, another thing too is to consider, and this is a little bit of a pivot from that last statement, is you need to, if you, if your, if your startup, especially your tech business is, if the future of it depends on future rounds of raising capital, it's even more crucial and more viable for you to get that minimally viable or minimally lovable product out. So you can really show tangible user and real people feedback and data because you know we've seen it before with people's platforms that wanted us or full scale to invest where you're like how long have you been, been building this or like two years like are you going to launch this thing or what you know and it's like you don't want to put money people don't want to put money into that because the further you get down that timeline and you don't have validation you don't have revenue you don't have an increased user account it starts to look kind of weird but hold on. It's easier to raise money before then. <laughs> Cause once you, once you ship a product and it sucks, you can't raise money anymore. <laughs> Chicken and egg. Chicken and egg. Wait. So wait. So, Oh, you're right. We don't want to generate revenue. We don't want customers because then we're going to prove I, it doesn't work. We're going to prove no one gives a shit about this yeah. product. So, and that's true. I think that's like Russ Hanneman from yeah. Silicon, the Silicon Valley yeah. bank show. And then like, no, we don't want revenue. We don't want users. No. It's like, yeah, not from I, the Silicon Valley I, I've, bank. I've been watching that show again. I love, I love how it highlights the absurdity. Now, look, now, you know, five years ago, like the, the whole environment for capital and, and, and fundraising and all that was dramatically different than it is now in a COVID slash soon to be like moving past a pandemic environment. Like it went when and it's been a year now, you know, we're here. It's almost been a year. Um, and I the landscape changed and the and as 2020 progressed, I said, man, I think things are going to dramatically change because here's the thing: a business eventually has to show a profit, has to generate revenue. You can't just be in the business of fundraising, and a lot of people are. And it really blows my mind how much cash some people can fly and burn through on the way to not generating any revenue. So yeah. it's like, well, yeah, all right. So recently, and I'm not saying that this is a, a, a bad thing, but so Clubhouse, the Clubhouse app, which is an audio only social media platform, everyone's talking about it. Everyone loves it. And they're going to raise money at a billion dollar valuation is what I'm hearing. And I'm looking at, I'm like, how does, how are they ever going to monetize this? And I'm sure they'll figure it out and other people will help them figure it out. But you look at something like that. Now, look, I did more research. There's only nine people that work at that company. Wow. Smart. It's lean. 
and, wow. and here's another thing too. It's only available on iOS. And I was reminded of that when I sent you an invite and then realized you couldn't accept it because you were an Android user. Yep. But but case in point, this it they appear to be the textbook example of running lean and getting real good at one thing, which yep. is the iOS version. Yep. It is what it is. They clearly have hype. They clearly have users. They, I mean, if they raise money at a, at a B. Yep. Instagram was a third, similar. That's story. the third comma, right? Yeah. I think Instagram is the, the opposite. Instagram, who's often known as the cheapest acquisition in the history of acquisitions. And it was still what a billion dollars. I think it was two something, yeah. Okay, so next on the list, and this is just kind of a general thing in life. This isn't uh, just why startups fail. This is why people and everything fails. No follow through. I don't know how to follow up that uh, comment. <laughs> so you need to follow up on everything you do. And in the context of this is like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities and things that come up and people often sit and wait for the response and all of it to come to them. Yep. You send and, an email and you just wait for somebody to respond. And if they don't respond, wait, it's just dead to you. you, you now you want to know if you really ask me why I've been quote successful, and I, I think that's a relative term. Ask me on some days if I'm successful, you get a different answer. You're annoying. Man, I'm, I'm pers it's persistent. <laughs> I'm not annoying. I'm persistent. But that's important, man. Like, it, it look, is. the people, that, it, it, okay. If you want, I, I posted this on my personal Facebook the other day. And by the way, if you're on Facebook, come check out the Startup Hustle Facebook chat. You got a couple thousand people in there. You're in there. I'm in there. We talk about a lot of stuff. Today, I posted a, a video montage of you performing feats of athleticism. I saw that. It was good, Matt. It was good. And the user and the people, the viewers seem to like it. Did but you like the picture I posted? I, I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of you. Yeah. Of you pole vaulting. Do you still have yeah. those shorts? No. So, but I, you know, I made a, a post on Facebook the other day and I, I normally don't try to give like overreaching advice or whatever, but if you want help from people, make it easy for them to help you as well. Like, you know, it's, 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 and that's a follow through thing. And man, I see this a lot and it breaks my heart because I see a lot of people squander opportunities because they just don't seem how to follow through or follow up or, or just kind of like do it. Yep. Just do it. I mean, is that all right? So uh, under now we operate this show off of a set list and this has a whole lot of things that are on here and including the reminder for me to let you know that this episode of startup hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley bank, go to svb.com and learn all about them. They've been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Like a big shout out. And by the way, some people from Silicon Valley Bank are gonna join me on another series that uh, related to funding. And I'm looking forward to that because those folks know what's up. Now, I, the reason I brought that up is so we have imaginary reasons. Sorry. Right, so the, the real, the, the one uh, umbrella reason that startups fail is clearly they run out of cash. Okay. So is that like, that's why it's an imaginary reason. Of course they ran out of cash. They eventually have it, but you know, it, the real question is why. And uh, one of my favorite startup founders uh, in Kansas city and participants in our chat group, Eric Foster made that comment when we asked in the group and said, you know, but what's the why? Why did you run out of cash? And those were some of the reasons that we were just talking about. But you got to really get Matt, why are why have you run out of cash in the past? Uh back to some of the things we mentioned earlier, you know, things taking a lot longer, a lot more time than you think, right? You hire software developers, you think you're going to build a product and sell it. And then like another six months goes by and then another six months goes by and then another six months goes by. <laughs> like you just keep burning money. You know, it's easy to do. Yeah. So uh, before I give you some of my reasons, will you hold my beer? Sure. Um, no, but you know, I think there's, you know, there's one thing that, uh, that you have to consider 
it. Okay. So people often view the startup founder, especially in tech as the youngster, which by the way, statistically isn't true, but look, you it, life will often dictate how your business works. And, and things happen that you don't ask for like COVID or illness or, you know, and I, I lost my mother in November and like that took me out of the game for, for a week and dealing with family matters and doing yeah. a lot of stuff. And, and here's the thing is, is that's one thing you can't really account for in a business plan. And if I think one of the whys is not being honest with yourself in, in some regards, because you talk about, Hey, I'm just going to burn more cash. I'm going to burn more cash. And like, so Matt, you and I have both at one point in our life gone through a divorce. Yep. How, how, how focused were you on business amidst all that? Cause I wasn't. Uh, I mean, you know, so in some ways the business was a, just a, a way to keep distracted away from the divorce, I guess, in some sense. But, but yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it definitely affects your mood and productivity as well. Like you're just, you're down, you're, you know, not feeling hundred percent. So for sure. I and, get it. And, and it, and it becomes a problem and it can also do things like freeze up your money, create other things. It can put added expense and just a whole lot of stuff. So, you know, the why of why you run out of cash is obviously the reasons that we just mentioned, but sometimes the why is just because life got in the way and yep. it, it, the further you get away from focus, the further you have to travel back to become focused. And it's tough, man. It's just tough to maintain that, that perfect straight line. Cause what do we know about plans, Matt? They're always wrong. Correct. So, okay. <laughs> they really are. They're like, always wrong. I think that my going forward, any business plan or thing that I write is just going to be like, you know how, you know how normally when you create a pitch deck, you have these things at the bottom, these disclaimers that are like these, these projections are just given for illustrative purposes and we can't guarantee any amount of return or whatever. I just want to put an asterisk at the bottom that just says, this is wrong. <laughs> it's guaranteed like, to be wrong. This is guaranteed to be wrong. So yeah. good luck. Do you think yep. that's a good, is that a good, is that good messaging? It, you know, honestly, there's, there's probably someone out there that would actually invest in that because they would look at that and go, oh, these guys get it. What I would say, it's like predicting when a pregnant lady is going to have a baby, like forget it. Well, you can do that because our creative director had a baby on the 26th right on time because it was scheduled and both my kids came. We predicted that that doesn't mean they couldn't have come sooner. So I um, also found out that my wife was born three weeks late. So she was almost a 10 month pregnancy. I didn't know that we've been together for 10 years. I just wow. found that out. So yeah, you never know when the bun's going to be done baking, but, but dude, that's, that's my, but Matt, that's case in point to the life thing, you know, yep. and like, and, and you got to stop and smell the roses too, man. Cause, uh, you know, I wrote a book about this dude and it'll swallow you up. If you're all business, if you're all personal, if you're all physical or whatever, if you're just, if you're a one trick pony, those other categories are going to come back and claim some balance. And, you know, yep. it's different for everyone. All right. So we, you know, we'd be remiss and not heeding our own. Okay. So we just mentioned a bunch of problems. Let's talk about a couple solutions because once again, we're not trying to like be Debbie Downer, but before we get into the meat and potatoes, like we want you to know what you're getting into. And I, and I'm not saying don't do it because I'm on multiple businesses at this point. I knew what I've known what I was getting myself into every time I've done it. I mean, first on the list, we've, and we're revisiting this, like the, the right product market fit is key. If, cause if you don't have buyers, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. But Matt, how do you, like, other than solving a problem, like, what are some, like, how do you know, like, how do you know, know that you have the right product market fit and you can actually sell it? Because you might, okay, Matt, so I have this idea. I want to create a place where you can buy anything you want and they'll deliver it to you in a day or two after you buying it right to your front porch. I think there's a huge market for that. I think people will be all over it. What's the problem with that? 
Uh, they already have competition. The big, like the one of the biggest companies in the world, already owns the market on that. And like, yeah, yeah. Walmart and Target and everybody else are in on it too. Right. So I, I, probably me, Matt DeCourcy, living my humble existence in Kansas, is probably not the best person to try to take on those giants. No, probably not. And I, I think an even simpler example of the product market fit was back to the the what we mentioned earlier was like face masks, right? Like, you know, yeah, making face masks a couple of years ago, like there really wasn't product market fit for that. Like people don't really want to buy this thing. Where now there is, there's there's big product market fit for it. Um, product market fit, you know, really can be creating a simple product that you sell to a very niche people. And it's just trying to figure out which niche do you go sell to. Um, you can use full scale as an example, right? Like we, we built a product and we figured out who needs the product, who needs the services. And then over time, we figured out who doesn't. Like oh, these people are not a good fit. These people are a good fit, right? And, you know, if you continue to try and sell your product over and over and over and nobody wants to buy it, you're you're missing product market fit somewhere. People people should be excited for the the problem you solve, the value you provide. And if not, you're just not quite, you just don't quite have product market fit yet. Yeah, so I got some input from our live chat here uh, from the live stream. It's from someone we, we know, Zach Klempf, uh, CEO and founder of Selly Automotive. And uh, talk, it says, eating a quick lunch and listening to these guys. So hopefully you can keep your lunch down, even though you're listening to the other Matt. Um, but yeah, he says, how about startups charging even for MVP and beta? If you charge early versus give it for free, they might, you know, you're guaranteeing that they're skinning the game. And yeah. I think that that's something that they did because, you know, the, the, him and, uh, uh, and his co-founder came out and visited us in, in Kansas yeah. City. And, you know, and they were they, very, uh, very efficient and intelligent uh, founders that, were monetizing and charging for their profit right away or for their product. Um, by the way, I want to let you know that another Facebook user has wanted you to know that annoying is in the eye of the beholder, Matt. Um, yeah. And they all, and another, and maybe the same one said that a reason that startups could fail could be a lack of gold accessories. That's true. That's true. Yes, not enough gold shoes, not enough gold shoes. But yeah, how do you feel? I mean, charging early, I think that that's fair. Well, and I can tell you from a lot of experience, the customers that use things for free are the worst users. And same yeah. thing, the ones that pay hardly no money. They're just not invested in it. And they're just cheapskates and just not the right kind of people. And, you know, don't don't feel bad about charging money for what you do. And a lot of times you see companies that they just don't charge enough. Like they just, they don't charge enough money. And, that, and that's one of the reasons they're not successful. And, you know, provide value and charge for it. You know, get rewarded for your services. A lot of people just, they just don't get their pricing model the right way. And they're not maybe confident enough in what they're doing and the services they provide. They just don't charge enough money. Yeah, and and that... The... I'm just so always up in the air, like the freemium thing, like I get it. And then at the same time, like, and we talked about this before, like my wife's been using the Duolingo app and I read about them being a, a unicorn company and only 3% of their users pay. And I'm like, yeah. like, and you know, I mean, that's fine, but man, that just, I mean, that seems like a lot of work. Now, some companies can get away with that. And I, I believe that that could also quickly become an albatross that would drag you down. Well, um, you, use, you have a you have a free product at Stackify. Like, I mean, what's the like? Talk about that for a second. Has that been good? Has it been bad? Like, what's the up and down? Well, so Stackify has a free product called Prefix, but we don't really provide support for it. And people download it on their on their workstation and use it, and it's pretty easy thing to use. Um, but you know, our flagship product at Stackify, you know, we have a lot of customers that pay less than a hundred dollars a month for it. And a lot of them are the biggest pains in the asses and they want support and ask a lot of questions and like, we can't even make money on these accounts. Like, like if I got to answer a support question for these people, forget it. It's not a profitable account anymore. And, you know, the, the, having a lot of accounts that don't pay a lot of money, if your product is, is needs a lot of support and has overhead and stuff, forget it. You can't do it. Now, if they pay you 10 bucks a month and you're never, ever going to talk to them, then that's fine. But if you've got, a I went through that. 
I went through that at Gigabook, man, because, you know, at first it was eight bucks a user and I just like, I had to like really, really hustle to build what we ended up calling Smart Start, which is an intelligent onboarding system that put people in the platform fully set up to use it or not at all. Like you can't yeah. bypass it because the reason was is for eight bucks a month. We, I mean, I can't even afford to answer your email no. on, on many levels. Yep. and. Uh, so yeah, we had to really kind of figure that out and get behind that and do something. Now I felt like that was in the, that, that plays into the next item in the list on, on how to avoid failure, which is some impactful leadership, because I had to be a leader and say, look, this is the way we got to do this. I know it's not the way we have been, but that made a big impact. Cause honestly, after we did that, first off, our support inquiries dropped 90% the day that we turned that on. Wow. And it's it, crazy, right? Cause no one, cause everyone was asking the same questions. How do I get set up? How do I do this? And we had built something that was so customizable that it had that huge strength, but it also had a huge weakness because you had to help people customize it. They didn't inherently know how to do it. So that yep. made a big impact and has led to years, years of Gigabook as a platform being largely self-sufficient. So we spent a lot of time listening for the echo. And when I say listening for the echo, that's like, okay, if you're getting the same question in anything you do in life over and over and over again, that's the echo. So yep. there's might be a better way to answer it. And the more you're stubborn about it and the more you refuse to not answer it or say that it's not a problem. Well, the, I mean, I think just the, it's going to get louder and louder and louder. What, what's the echo at Stackify? Like what's one of the things in the past that you heard repeatedly that you're finally like, we got to just uh, fix this because people are never going to stop asking. Just for certain product features, people ask for our product to do, you know, specific things and you got to listen to your customers and build what they want. So, but I, I, I think the other thing to mention here about leadership is when you're a startup and you're a small company, you've got to have somebody on the team that's a strong leader. I mean, you can't have a whole bunch of people that just sit around the room and look at each other and figure out like, how are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole? How are we going to solve our problems? Like somebody's got to step up and be the leader and take charge and, and forge ahead. So. Well, and that's next on our list is talented people. That's definitely part of it. You got to have talent. You, that's usually, for sure. you usually don't put the championship ring on without talent. Absolutely. And now talent is tricky because you, Matt, you know, I'm fascinated with high performers, like everyone from rock stars to painters to entrepreneurs and, and most of them have talent, but then they work on it. They are constantly fine tuning it almost to an obsessive level. And, you know, the, when it comes to talented people, look, they're good. I've just learned that employees are usually the great ones. They're great right away. And that's a big thing, man. And it's tough to admit that. And I think that when we talk about impactful leadership, part of what's difficult about it is, okay, the business, a lot of businesses that I've seen fail, uh, they failed because the person in charge didn't, didn't have the guts to address tough conversations and, and make decisions that sometimes weren't popular. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's simple. Like if you got to make a change, the faster you make it, the better. Well, and when it comes to talent, when you're an early stage startup, you can't necessarily afford the best talent, right? So that that's one of the struggles we have. And as your company starts to grow, there are certain times where you really, really need certain key individuals and you can't really afford to be cheap. Like you've got to go get the talent that you need that will help take you to the next level. And one of the big moments in Vin Solutions history, uh, my old company was we hired uh, a guy named Sean to come in and, and be in charge of sales. And he just knew what the hell he was doing. He had connections you know, in the industry and he had been doing it for years. And he just helped light the fire on the, on the, on the rocket fuse. He was just the guy. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't have a bunch of other people that weren't good that didn't help contribute, but just like, he was just one of the spark plugs that really helped light the thing. And, and sometimes you need those people. 
Well, I think it's really important early because it's easy to want to be cheap. And I mean, honestly, you usually get what you pay for. Yep. Um, it's, and it's tough. It's tough because you have one person that makes X and another person that makes Y. X is 30% more. So what's the Y? Yep. of it. Now it's pretty simple. And you know, that I've used the same example when it comes to comparing like offshore developers to local or really anyone. So someone that makes a hundred dollars an hour, as opposed to someone that makes $50 an hour, the hundred dollar an hour person needs to be twice as fast, twice as good, or do it like something two times more just to be on the same level. Yep. So there's that opposing side of things too. Sometimes you can find extreme value that still is like, it's that it's value. But when it comes to overall certain talent, charisma, personality, leadership, I don't know, man, there's a lot of intangibles. There's things you can't teach or train someone yep. to do. Like, yep, yep. Or, and, you know, I'm so fascinated with likability. Like you can't train someone or teach them to be likable. Like most of the time you're likable or you're not. Yep. And being likable is way different than being interesting, you know, and, and, you know, a likable person can tell you that your baby's ugly and you'll thank them for the feedback, you know, it's like, and, but and you can't train that. So, and, and so there's certain things of leadership and sometimes just general maturity um, that, I don't know, there's a lot of personality style things that come in and that contributes to the next item on our list of creating a, a great workplace culture, which I think is grossly misunderstood. That doesn't mean how many bowling alleys and other bullshit can you have at the business. It's about having people that want to work around each other, that believe in your vision and know that you believe in them and their success. Yep. And have a positive attitude and contribute you know, to the team. The, the biggest thing in a startup is there's no room to have anybody on the team that doesn't pull their weight. I mean, they, they definitely bring everybody down and everybody knows it and, or having people that are very negative and, you know, you, you gotta have, gotta have the right culture and everybody rowing together. And if, if somebody's not rowing, you can tell. <laughs> well, and then the problem is, is as well with the rowing analogy, if one side's rowing harder than the yeah. others, then you just row in circles. Yep. Yep. And yep. And, you know, that's, a, that's another issue too. And, and, you know, Matt, you have, we have a video on our YouTube channel talking about, uh, uh, you know, being the, being, you know, why you call it the startup hustle. And you say, look, is the, what he says that you're the chief cook and bottle washer. Yep. So the thing is, is if you're towing these people around in your boat, you have to go. So you're going to have to row both sides. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. <laughs> it's taking on water. Now you're trying to bail water while rowing and, you know, and, and, and fishing. Usually, at the what, usually what you'll find is everyone else is putting a life preserver on and jumping for, for safety. <laughs> and you're going, what? And you don't even notice it, but you know, the more crap you have to follow, you have to clean up as you follow behind people well, the less you're doing what you need to do. So, okay. So we've, you know, we have some other episodes in the, in the feed and, uh, and uh, that relate to this subject and other forms of success. And if you do find success and you make it to series A, I want you to go to svb.com prior to doing that. Don't wait until you've already raised the round because SVB, man, these guys think different, Matt. You know, I've talked to, as we, uh, created this this partnership with them and they're helping uh, you know they're a big supporter of the startup community but you know we've had a lot of discussion about banks these these folks think different and um you know like they get tech and software and the fact that you might like that the value of your company is tangible to them as opposed to the bank that's around the corner that's like yeah but you don't own any like tools or trucks or buildings. And I think that that's really important to establish uh, good financial and banking partners, svb.com, go check them out. Now it's time for the founders freestyle, Matt. And what did you, what, what, what did, what's out of today? What's, what's the thing for you? What really hit? Um, one of the, one of the things we talk about a lot is you know, solving a real problem. And I think for especially software development businesses, it's focusing on that minimum viable product and getting a product out there and getting feedback and then iterating on it. Um, I, I would be the first to admit that 
as a software developer, it's easy to like hide in my dark basement somewhere and write code all day and not go talk to people and not go try and sell something. And so if, if you're a entrepreneur out there that wants to build a software product, you've, you've definitely got to strike the balance and you got to get out there and sell something. You got to ship something. Sales cures ales, brother. Sales yep. cures ales. Now, I mean, other than the advice of don't start your own TV show, I got to come up with something here, right? You know, speaking of which, you, you watched Startup Hustle TV. You were on it, right? I did. I saw that. So we've created another product to try to help entrepreneurs by showing the story and the things that entrepreneurs go through, through the lens of an entrepreneur. Check, check out our YouTube channel. I'm happy. I love what we built. It's fun. It's funny. And it's real. Um, you know, Matt, I think for me, I think the thing that, that always sticks out is I'm going back to kind of my OG advice from Million Dollar Bedroom. And that's that, that you know, really try to understand your path to revenue. Um, you've yeah. been through it. I've been through it. Like, and you know, the, I, I think that I just talked to, I've seen a lot of, a uh, lot of plans and a lot of things Then you know, like six months after, after launching a product that they haven't created a line of code for, or ha signed up a single user for, they're suddenly at a 10% market share. And I mean, once again, not trying to be Debbie Downer, that's probably not re the realistic and it's probably not going to happen. So if that's a pivotal, if that, if that has to happen for you to be successful or for you to raise capital, I want you to revise the plan a little bit because it's probably going to take twice as long and probably three times as long and cost two to three times more. We're not just making that up, folks. Like it's just yep. real because I've been through it, and it's and you know we're talking about how to start a tech company. Yes, Matt. Does anyone know how long it takes to build software? Forever. Anyone? Forever. I mean, it, so, Evan, is Evan, it about it? It's 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 it, it's inexact two to weeks. say the least. It takes two, two weeks. weeks, right? By the way, wanting it done and being able to get it done within a time frame are two completely different realities. And if you're a non-tech founder, I want you to I want you to be cautious of that as well, because just because you want it done in three months doesn't mean it's going to happen in three months. So what are you doing to plan and provision? Man, I you know, all this, man, I'm going to go start a startup. <laughs> all right. Good luck. I'm going to need some money. Is that cool? Nope. All right, I'm going to I'm going to end the show now so you can give me your account and routing numbers. See you next All right. time. See you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.